Welcome to the Sisterhood & Co. podcast. I'm your host, Harriet Blevins. This podcast is designed to empower, educate, and encourage women of all ages and stages of life in their walk with God. Our goal and intent is to provide you with the best content and topics relevant to your lives as Christians. We will have conversations with other leaders all along the way and discuss topics all of us want and need to hear. I'm so happy you're here, and I hope you enjoy the journey with me. Do you know that it is really good for us to get out of our feels and just sing about Him, who He is, and what we are not, right? When you begin to put all that attention there, you begin to go, whew, okay. It puts everything into the right perspective, doesn't it, to do that? I love it so much. That's a beautiful song. We always call Joel Houston the tortured artist. You know, he's, <laughs> I think he's sitting by his piano at three and four in the morning writing those songs. The beautiful, beautiful gifting. So, Father, we thank you today for another Tuesday. We thank you for the beauty of the season that it is, the coolness of the air. We thank you, Lord, that we see you everywhere we look right now. And we just praise you for that, Lord. We thank you for your word. And as we open it today, God, I ask that you would be glorified today in your story, Lord, the story that you have written for us on earth. And so, God, we just align ourselves with it today. I ask, Father, for your anointing today that breaks the yoke of the enemy or in all the powers of the darkness And God, I ask that your light and your spirit would come forth and that we would all grow together today in you. We thank you, Lord, for your presence here with us. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. So, last week, we covered the ten plagues. That was a lot, wasn't it? Tim was like, I didn't know you could say so many words in such a... Like, it was just a lot. Like, I know, it just seemed to go on and on and on, and I'm sorry, but, you know, it was a lot. It was ten of them, y'all. There was ten of those. When we get to the uh, Ten Commandments, which I told you last week I'm doing today. I was just kidding. I'm not doing that today. Um, <laughs> um, I'll try to shorten it down just a little bit. So, you, you know, you, you had Moses, let my people go, and Pharaoh, no. You know I mean? You, you have this whole back and forth thing over and over and over again until... The very last part of it was when the angel of death passed through the land of Egypt, killing all the firstborn of the Egyptians. Now, that was the firstborn may have been an adult male. You know, it may have been a grown-up. It may have been a child. We also know that it was the firstborn of all their animals, all their livestock. That's a lot of death. That's just, it was a lot. Um, And this is very significant because their entire belief system, their cultural system was built on this belief or this um, kind of hierarchy, which a lot of religions have about the firstborn, the whole deal about the firstborn, you know, that whole thing. So when you wipe out all the firstborn, it's like, well, where's our, like, where's our cultural system? Where's our belief system? So all that, uh, there, it was all gone. So today we're going to turn our attention to the next part of the story, which is the Exodus, the crossing of the Red Sea. So I want to begin today in um, Psalm 106. And 
And I'm going to start reading with verse 7. Our fathers in Egypt did not understand thy wonders. They did not remember thine abundant kindness or mercy, but they rebelled by the sea of the Red Sea. Nevertheless, he saved them for the sake of his name that he might make his power known. Remember that we've been talking about that every week. Like, watch what I will do. You know, watch what I'm now going to do. We've, we've seen that over and over. Thus, verse 9, he rebuked the Red Sea and it dried up and he led them through the deep as through the wilderness. So he saved them from the hand of the one who hated them. And he redeemed them from the hand of the enemy and the waters covered their adversaries. Not one of them was left. Okay. This tells, this is a bit of the story that is being told generations later by David. He is, you know how the Jews tell the story, and they tell the story, and they tell the story, and they keep passing it down over and over. So here we see David, generations later, picking up the story. Over in 1 Corinthians um, uh, chapter 10, you can just make a note of this to go look later, we see that Paul calls this issue of going through the Red Sea a baptism of sorts. Isn't it interesting when a little time has passed that we get a different perspective? Doesn't time do that for us? It gives us the gift of fresh perspective. And it's almost like, like, is it Paul Harvey that used to say, and this is the rest of the story. You know, it's like we get the rest of the story. So it's kind of interesting how Paul puts it into that language in the New Testament, and it helps give us a bit of understanding. So we're going to go backwards today and work our way forward. I want us to start in Exodus 12 with our text. I'm going to start reading verse 26. Now, I'm going to read quite a bit of Scripture today um, because I feel like the story tells itself much better than I could put into words. So, verse 26. And it will come about when your children will say to you, what does this right mean to you? That you will say, it is a Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the sons of Israel in Egypt when he smote the Egyptians but spared our homes. And the people bowed low and worshipped. Then the sons of Israel went and did so, just as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. Now it came about at midnight that the Lord struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne to the firstborn of the captive or the prisoner who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of cattle. And Pharaoh arose at night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, can you imagine? For there was no home where there was not someone dead. Then he called for Moses and Aaron at night, and he said, Rise up, get out. There it is again. Gina started that week with up and out. Here we see it. Rise up, get out from among my people, both you and the sons of Israel, and go worship the Lord as you have said. Take both your flocks and your herds as you have said, and go, and listen to this, and bless me also. Uh So here we see it again, up out, right? We see this whole part. In verse 33, it says, And the Egyptians urged the people to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, We shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened with their kneading bowls bound up in cloths on their shoulders. Now the sons of Israel had done according to the word of Moses, 
for they had requested from the Egyptians articles of silver, articles of gold, and clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have their request. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. So here we see this word plunder, which is kind of a pirating term, if you were to stick it somewhere. And it's very interesting because they are plundering, and it is, um, they're asking for their wealth. They're asking for their gold. They're asking for their silver. They're asking for their stuff is what they're asking for. Some uh, scholars believe that the uh, Israelites felt like this was a type of reparations being paid to them for 400 years of unpaid wages of slavery that they had literally built the Egyptian empire, literally with their own hands. Verse 37 Now the sons of Israel journeyed from Ramesses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot, aside from children. Now this, this, this is an interesting passage. This word men is the Hebrew word geber, G-E-B-E-R. And it means that the, these are men at the peak of their natural strength. These are warrior type men. So how many people were there actually in the Exodus? Now, nobody knows for sure. No one knows for sure. I dug and I dug and I spent way too much time in this area right here. But let's just say if every one of those men had 2.3 children on average, let's just say that. Because we know the ones that had 12 were like, that was like, wow, like they were really, you know, like the Duggars of, you know, the Israelites. But the Levites were the tribe who had the most children. They were the most fruitful. But in theory, there could have been up to 2 million people. But there are also some texts that say that these men were positioned. And some of the earlier um, writings of, of this book of Exodus uses the word eliphs. And I'm going to spell it for you, E-L-I-P-H-S. And an eliph is a military platoon or a squad that has 12 men in it. So if you do that, then there would have been about 7,200 men, which would have meant that there was about 26 to 30, sorry, 28 to 36,000 people overall. Now that tends to make a little more sense in our natural mind, which I know there's nothing about this story that has a natural tendency really to it. I understand that. But most scholars believe that last number is a little more realistic because remember later we would see Moses gathered them all and he would talk to them. Well, he didn't have this and I'm in a room with, you know, less than 100 people. So how in the world would you talk to 2 million people and they hear it? I know God can do anything, but there was no, you know, body of water that it was carrying on besides the Red Sea that they hadn't even been across yet. So... That's what most scholars believe that. Okay, let's go to Exodus 13 and read verse 17. Now, it came about when Pharaoh had let the people go that God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, even though it was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and they return to Egypt. Even though there was a shorter way, they weren't ready. Have you ever felt like you were like ready for something and God was like, mm-mm. And you're like, I've been on the backside of this desert trudging along for so long and God's like, no, you're not ready for that. 
And he, he'll say, okay. He'll answer your, your prayer with okay, but you realize that you're being rerouted, you know, this long distance, like where in the world am I going? So instead of going the shorter way, and God knows, God knows what's best for us. He knew what was best for them. Um, he, he just knows. He knows that sometimes you and I, we think in our minds that we're ready to hold new ground. But he knows that lest we get into that new territory and the Philistines scare us to pieces and we begin to cry out to go back, right? Not ready, not ready for that, just not ready. So then we go down to verse 18, 13, 18. Hence God led the people around by the way of the wilderness to the Red Sea, and the sons of Israel went up in martial array from the land of Egypt. And Moses took, I'm going to keep reading through verse 22, the bones of Joseph with him, for he had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God surely shall surely take care of you, and shall carry, and you shall carry my bones from here with you. Then they set out from Succoth and camped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness, and the Lord was going before them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them on the way and in a pillar of fire by night to give them light and that they might travel by day and by night. And he did not take away the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. So we got a fire and a cloud. This fire and this cloud had like its own, um, like an ecosystem that it was working off of. Like nobody even knew like where the thing came from, Right. It's a, it's a cloud in the daytime, and at night it becomes fire. And what was happening is God was using this sign to supernaturally let them see his presence. Now, now notice I'm not saying they're seeing him face to face. They're seeing his presence in this cloud and in this fire. As Nicole opened up and said, the literal presence of Yahweh came among them. That would be like terrifying and awesome all at the same time, right? You know, they're thinking, wow, there is a lot going on like with us these days. There is just a lot to journal about, right? Okay, down in verse, in chapter 14, let's read, and I'm going to read a big portion of this story because here's where the bulk of our story is today. Now, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Tell the sons of Israel to turn back and camp at Pehiaroth between Migdal and the sea, and you shall camp in front of Baal Zephon, not Zach Ephron, opposite it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the sons of Israel, They are wandering aimlessly in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. Thus I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will chase after them. I will be honored through Pharaoh and all of his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord, and they did. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his servants had a change of heart toward the people, and they said, What is this that we have done, that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made his chariot ready and took his people with him. He took 600 select chariots and all the other chariots of, the, of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he chased after the sons of Israel as the sons of Israel were going out boldly. So they were not in fear. They were going out boldly. 
Then the Egyptians chased after them with all the horses and the chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen, his army, and they overtook them camping by the sea beside that name Pi-Hahiroth in front of Zac Ephron. And as Pharaoh drew near, the sons of Israel looked, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they became very frightened. So the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord. Here we see fear comes in. Then they said to Moses, Is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us in this way, bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we spoke to you in Egypt, saying, Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Okay, let me restate from last week. Pharaoh, not a good guy, not a victim. He is not a good person. This has never changed throughout all the story. He's still a bad dude. Remember, he's like, you can go. And now he's like, just kidding. You're not leaving. I I was just joking. You You can't actually leave. Then in verse 10 through 12, we actually see the Israelites begin to lose their minds. One week after they left Egypt, y'all, they are still in the driveway. One week, they're like, what in the world? We should have just stayed. We had graves and we could have died. I mean, they're losing their minds right there. Now, you know, the Red Sea moment hadn't happened yet. But remember, they had seen all that we talked about last week. The frogs, the locusts, the blood, all stuff. They had, they'd seen all that happen. Even the death angel come through. They saw all that with their own eyes. Both Pharaoh and the Israelites, in this moment, that text I just read had amnesia about God and his power. They forgot that our God is greater, period. They forgot that part. That it just took a week. How many of y'all have gotten out from a miracle about a week before and forgotten all about the testimony of the Lord? And you get out there and you're like, what am I doing? Like, what is happening? And we forget. We forget about it. Okay. I'm sure Moses was like, are y'all kidding me right now? Like, look up. He's literally there. Cloud, fire. Like, there he is. Okay. Verse 13 through 20. But Moses said to the people, do not fear. So here's trying to talk them off the ledge. Because, you know, they're all turning on him. Yeah, right? Like you saw me on Sunday morning, you didn't hug me. You didn't speak to me. We didn't hang out at Starbucks, Moses. He'd been gone for 40 years. He didn't even know these people. He shows up and here he's the leader. Here, here they are. And now all of a sudden they're like, we are not having it. That's how they are. He says to him, do not fear. He's trying to talk him off the ledge. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians who you have seen today, you will never see them again forever. Woo. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the sons of Israel to go forward. Say, go forward. Today's title of our lesson today is Go Forward. I don't care what it looks like in front of you. Keep going forward. Go forward. Then the Lord said to him, tell the sons of Israel to go forward. Um, Let me see where I am here. I just lost my place. And as for you, lift up your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the sons of Israel will go through the midst of the sea on dry land. 
And as for me, capital M, behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And I will be honored through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. Then the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I am honored through Pharaoh, through his chariots and his horsemen. And the angel of God who had been going before the camp of Israel moved and went behind them. Imagine that sight. I mean, I don't even know. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them. Can you imagine experiencing that and watching that? I mean, I thought like the second Top Gun movie was like, wow. I mean, this is a whole other level. So this this, it, it, and I'll just say the angel is an it, and the pillar in the cloud is an it, came between the camp of Egypt and the camp of Israel, and there was a cloud along with darkness, yet it gave light at night. Thus, the one did not come near the other all night. Now, Moses addresses the people. We're going to skip over this part right here because we're going to come back to it. God, God gently corrects him. And then the angel shows up and moves to the rear with the cloud to be a rear guard of sorts. So now between Israel and Egypt, there is a supernatural barrier. When God has asked you to go forward, he will put whatever kind of barrier he needs to around your life, your loved one's life, whatever it is, so that you can go forward and your rear guard is protected, right? He will do that. That's who he is. So here, here is this situation's happening. And what it did on the side of the Egyptians is it altered their vision. They couldn't see through the cloud. It was just like a cloud. It was just cloudy. They couldn't probably see anything in front of them. It was just cloudy. On the Israelite side, it was light. And they could see. Because on one side it was a cloud, on one side it was a pillar. Amazing. It's just amazing. Okay, verse 21. We're going to keep reading. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord swept the sea back by a strong east wind all night and turned the sea into dry land so the waters were divided. And the sons of Israel went through the midst of the sea on dry land, and the waters were like a wall to them on their right and on their left. Moses had to do something. Moses had to do something. He had to stick his hand out. He had to stretch out his hand. God said, you stretch out your hand, I will divide the sea. He had to actually do something. There was a part that he had to play. You and I have a part in our deliverance. We can't just sit home in our pajamas and say, God, deliver me. I mean, we just can't do that. We have a part to play just like they did. We have to go forward as best we can with the resources that God is showing us and giving to us. Okay, let's keep reading. Verse 23. Then the Egyptians took up pursuit and all of Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, his horsemen, went in after them into the midst of the sea. Do y'all remember a song? How many of you were in a charismatic church in the 80s? Yes. Then you remember the horse and the rider thrown into the sea. Yes. Okay, that's, what, that's where it came from. Because that's what we did. We sang, like, we sang songs from the Bible. That's what we did. Then the Egyptian took up pursuit of all of the horses and threw them in the, God and, and went into, after them into the midst of the sea. And it came about at the morning watch 
that the Lord looked down on the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud and brought the army of the Egyptians into confusion. God can send confusion to the enemy at any time he wants to. To your enemy, to my enemy. And he caused their chariot wheels to swerve. They couldn't even drive straight. And he made them drive with difficulty. So the Egyptians said, let us flee from Israel for the Lord is fighting for them against us. That's powerful. Confusion. Confusion came into their midst because they were experiencing hardship, right? The chariots didn't really drive. These are the best of the best, right? And d- remember, the, the Israelites did not have a horse, y'all. They didn't have one chariot. They're all walking. They have none of this stuff that is coming against them. So God sets this hardship in front of the Egyptians, and they begin to get confused. They begin to kind of lose their footing, so to speak, in the middle of all this. And then it says that they knew that God, so they had to acknowledge there was a God, our God's greater, was fighting against them. Right? They had to go, wow. And this was, um, yeah, I started thinking about this and I thought, gosh, you know, it'd be like going to the aquarium. Do you ever walk through the aquarium and you always touch like that glass, you know, because you're like, wow, the shark is like right there. But we touch the glass because we can, right? Because, you know, they're not going to hurt us because there's glass there. This is not like at the aquarium. Like there is a wall of water and who knows how close it was. It could have been a mile. Why? I have no idea to get this many people across how big it was. But imagine that. Just imagine what that must have been like. I mean, I'm sure it was terrifying for both sides. For both sides. Verse 26. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may come back over the Egyptians, over their chariots, and their horsemen. So Moses, here he goes again. He did something. He stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal state by daybreak while the Egyptians were fleeing right into it. Then the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. And the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen, even Pharaoh's entire army that had gone into the sea after them. Not even one of them remained. None of them escaped. Um, but the sons of Israel walked on dry land. Mm right through the midst of the sea, and the waters were like a wall to them on their right and on their left. So here we see, I mean, just if this ground is dry, their feet didn't even get muddy. In the ocean, walking across this, and we're going to talk about what the Red Sea was in a minute, but it is truly something. So here we see Moses acting again. Then verse 30 and 31 Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. They saw it, just like they saw the blood, the frogs, the locusts, all the other things. Here they saw this too. And when Israel saw the great power which the Lord had used against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and thus believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. I bet they did, right? Finally, we see victory in this whole situation. Now, this story does show Moses his very, very best. He's not flawless. He's got a little mm in there. We're going to talk about that. But, you know, he's got one little correction from the Lord. But 
I think it is really interesting that kind of back in the beginning of the text, I read about Joseph's bones. And I think that that was part of this deal because this is just thus thinketh Harriet. Because Joseph represented a great leader for Israel, and he was always known to the Israelites as a steadfast, steady, faithful leader. And there was something about just the presence of his bones that helped steady the Israelites. We also see Pharaoh too, and instead of leading and caring for his people as a king ought to do, he actually was responsible for their killing, for their death. Not good. Remember that whole passage, pride goes before a fall. Then we have the Israelites, and they are just an interesting bunch, aren't they? From our vantage point of history, we look back and go, what in the world? But, you know, how many times have we done the exact same thing in a lesser thing? I understand that it hasn't been like the Egyptians and the Red Sea and all this massive story, you know, this epic tale, but all of this is real and true. And see, all the things in the Bible, the history serves as a purpose for you and I to build our theology on it so that we can take that history and we can uh, form our theology around who God is for us today. That's why this story still is speaking to us today. God is still saying to his people, you're not ready to go in there yet. You're going to go around the hard way. You're not going there yet. It's going to be a minute. So figure this out. Get your heart right. Learn to trust all the things, all of this. How many of you know we still need a great deliverer? How many of you have made choices in your life that you need a deliverance from? Yes, all of us, every single person of us. Our God is greater. And this story, the theme of it would be the testimony of Yahweh. Testimony about his great faithfulness, about how he brought them out of 400 years of slavery. We see this foreshadowing of Jesus, the great one true deliverer for all mankind, once for all perfect, never to be needed to be done again. This entire story is a type of foreshadowing. That's why Paul calls it a baptism of sorts, right? Even Jesus got baptized. Jesus is the great deliverer because you and I are still in need of freedom today. How many of you are in one of our freedom groups? It's so good. You won't even believe. You may think you know it all and that you've had all the freedom you're ever going to need. But I'm going to tell you, as much as two weeks ago, God is still setting me free after 50 years of walking and serving him. How beautiful is the Lord that he doesn't just do it all at one time. We could never bear up underneath that, y'all, because we are something. We look at them and think, God, y'all couldn't hold it together for a week. I mean, look at us sometimes, right? We still need deliverance. We still need it. We get, we get hung up in things of the world, right? And we got to get free. So it, it may not be, your freedom may not be from Egypt, but I will tell you this, it will be from something or someone. It will be one of those two things. may not be from Egypt. Okay, the actual name of the Red Sea in the Hebrew is two words, Yom Suf. And Yom means sea and Suf means edge. 
It literally means, and they believe that this could have been an, a, um, uh, a typo of sorts in the very first transcript. It literally means the sea of reeds or the sea of seaweed. That is what it literally means. The location is not exactly known today. It could possibly be a portion of the Suez Canal. It could also be the southeastern Nile Delta, where this crossing happened, what they were calling the Red Sea or the Sea of Reeds, the Sea of Seaweeds. It isn't exactly known. The picture of the Red Sea for us today, it can be anything that stands in the way of your freedom. It could be a health issue. It could be a mountain of debt. It could be a relationship. It could be an addiction. It could be anxiety. It could be depression. It is important to remember that what God cares more about is his people's freedom more than their comfort. Our comfort isn't near as important to him as our amount of freedom in him. That's what matters to him. That's what was mattering to him here. That's what was mattering. So it's a big deal. And that's why when we're not always comfortable, it's okay. Just take a deep breath because it's not about our comfort. It's about our freedom. And that is a scary place sometimes because this said it over and over. God's own words said this. God will get his glory. He absolutely will. If he has to get it from chariots, horsemen, and Pharaoh himself, he is going to get his glory. It will not be withheld from him. And you and I may have to go through, go forward into some things for God to get his glory. So be it. See, the Bible isn't a book about who God was. It is a book for you and I today about who God is today for you and I. This is a great story. It's amazing. It's an epic tale. We know that, but it would be no good to us if we could not apply it through the lens of understanding and time and, and perspective and the presence of the Holy Spirit breathing the Ruach breath of God on the words as we read it and we say, Oh, I'm like that. I need deliverance like that. I have a Red Sea in front of me. And we hear the voice of the Lord say, go forward. Go forward. So let's go back to the place where God redirects Moses a bit. Exodus 14, 12 reads, Is this not the word that we spoke? This is when they're losing their minds. Is this not the word that we spoke to you in Egypt saying, Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. How many of you know what revisionist history is? That's what this is. That's what we're having right here. It sounds like today. The, the answer to that is actually no. No, you didn't actually say that. Not in anywhere, in any text that I could find. If you can find it, you can tell me later. No, they never said that. They never said, leave us alone, that we can serve the Egyptians. They didn't. They're like, oh, we're going to go get our silver and gold, and we're out of here. Remember, it said they went boldly. No, they didn't actually say that. So, no, I couldn't find that. Okay, then down in verse 13 and 14, Moses said to the people, don't fear. He's helping them out. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will never see them again forever. For the Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. Moses tells them to just stand still and watch and keep silent. But that is not what God says. 
Read on down to verse 15. He says, the Lord then said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the sons of Israel to go forward. Go forward. God says, move and do something. He's like, Moses, you're not telling the people what I said. You're telling them what your fear is saying. It's going to be fine. We're all going to be fine. It's going to be fine. You're never even going to have to see these people again. And they didn't. But God never said, stand still. God said, do something and go forward. He didn't say, stand there and be quiet. Just, just stand there and hold your peace. He did not say that. So Moses is getting a little bit of a redirecting, a little, a little um, correction here. God said, I need you to get out of your feelings and do something. How many of you know we're good at that? we got to feel it, right? we got to feel all the feels. we got to do all the things. We, you and I have a part to play. That's my whole point today. We have a part to play in all of this. You have a part to play in your story of freedom, and so do I. It's actually beautiful. The go in the go forward, it's not about running away. It's not about that because sometimes fear makes us want to just run the other direction, right? It's not about that at all. It's about going through. The going forward is about I see it, I see it there. There it is. But I am actually going to go through to the other side of this. That's what the go is about. Have you ever heard that God will take you into deep waters because he knows your enemy can't swim? That could have come from this passage. Sometimes God will lead you into deep places and you're like, well, here here we are now. This is going to be a situation. But he knows your enemies cannot swim. And that's what he was doing for them. Feel the fear. He's, He's not rebuking them for being fearful. Feel the fear and go through it anyway. Go through it anyway. Keep going. Just keep going. He knows when we're ready and they weren't ready prior to this for the Red Sea. Back in Psalm 106 where we began, in verse 7, it says, Our fathers in Egypt did not understand thy wonders. They did not remember thy abundant kindness, but they rebelled by the sea at the Red Sea. They were rebelling on the shore, in the driveway, right? Like they hadn't even pulled out to go on the trip. They're still in the driveway, and they are rebelling right here on the shore. It's what the Bible says. I mean, that is just something. When you and I don't remember, we rebel. That's what happened to them. They didn't remember what God had done, who God is. And because of that, it says that they rebelled on the shore. That's a big, that's a big statement. When we don't remember, we rebel. It's a testimony of the Lord that keeps us moving forward in the right direction and not going off on some other path, right? It's that testimony that holds us there. The Red Sea wasn't necessarily all about faith. I don't know about you, but I kind of read that and go, huh. It was a little bit about their failure too. Because how many of you know God doesn't like rebellion? And here they are rebelling before it ever happens. It's just something. So they failed again. They rebelled again. And I mean, after all that we saw with the plagues and all that they had seen, they saw all of it, but they forgot about it a week later and they rebelled. They rebelled. But the verse I want to land on today is verse 8. 
Verse 7 ends with, but they rebelled by the, by the sea, at the Red Sea. And then verse 8 says, nevertheless, he saved them for his name's sake. That word, nevertheless, that's how good our God is. That's how good he is. He saved them for his name's sake. That's why all the saving was done. Because he will get his glory. Because our God is greater. He's greater. He's just awesome. It's a beautiful picture this particular passage of the grace of God in complete action. They rebelled, and then down in verse 9, we see that it says, Thus he rebuked the Red Sea and dried it up. They rebelled against him, but we see him turn around and rebuke the Red Sea on their behalf and dry it up so they can cross over it. Do you know that you and I have rebelled in our life and God has still rebuked our Red Seas and allowed us to pass over anyway. He's like, they need this. I've got to get them through on dry ground to the other side. Even though they're sitting in the driveway rebelling. <laughs> That's what it seems like. That beautiful word, nevertheless. God is so good. Even when you and I fail and fall miserably short of him, he is still good and good to us. So today as we go into our talk time, your question in your group today, and tr you know, try, to, try to do it and kind of move through it because let's see how, what time we got. Oh yeah, we got about 15 minutes. And here's your question for today. When is a time that you needed freedom and you had to go through something in order to see that happen? When is a time that you yourself needed freedom in an area and you sort of had to take a deep breath you had to move forward through it. You had to go forward. There was no, you couldn't just sit and let it happen. You actually had to do something. You had to make a decision in your mind and your heart and actually go forward. So Eli's going to put some music on, and I'll give you the two-minute warning when we're getting ready to wrap it up. And then I have a little closing for you today. So if we are recording this for the podcast, I would love to also get the closing today as well if we can. I heard this from Pastor T.D. Jakes, um, and it was something he was talking about, but I feel like it goes right along with our story today. So um, in the ecosystem of the polar bears, they were um, actually starving because they, there was no salmon for them to eat because we're eating it all. In most recent years, you know, most restaurants all over the world sell and offer salmon, Right. And because uh, it's a very healthy thing, you're supposed to eat it, it's got all, all the omega fats in it, all the good things. And so we are eating it all, so they were not having any salmon. So what they were going to do, well, let me go back further. For years ago, now I mean this is years ago, what was vogue to eat like our salmon today was cod. Everybody wanted to eat cod because all the people on the East Coast could eat cod because we have it on the East Coast it's here naturally. But you could not get it on the West Coast. So they had a dilemma there. So they began to ship the cod once they would catch it to the West Coast. And of course, you know what would happen. It would spoil. So then they thought, well, we'll ship it on ice and get it there, you know, at least where it's not spoiled. It's still going to be good. So it didn't spoil when it was on the ice, but it lost its texture and its flavor. So it's kind of crazy. So the question is, how can something or someone 
be alive and not be fresh. Have you ever thought about that before? Have you ever felt that way before? I'm alive, but I'm not fresh. Mm -hmm. So then they started shipping this cod in like tanks, like aquarium tanks. And when the cod would get there, it would still be alive, but it still had no flavor. So what they did was they discovered that if they put catfish in the aquarium with the cod, when it got there, it would still be fresh because the catfish chase the cod and make them run for their lives. When the cod was on the run from the catfish, they stayed fresh. See, some people go to church to meet a husband or a wife. Some people go to see their friends. Some go because they want to be entertained by the worship band. Some may go because they have a new outfit to wear. Some of us go because the catfish is chasing us. And we need the freshness of the presence of God to keep us not just alive, but anointed and fresh in our walk with God. See, for the Israelites, their catfish was Pharaoh. He kept them on the run. I mean, they were on the run. Yours may be something different from mine. You know, but God knows what catfish to put in your tank to make you come alive again. Amen. Amen. To get you moving again so you can go forward. So, Lord, I thank you so much for today. Thank you, Lord, that you're always speaking and teaching us. You're always uh, moving us forward. God, I pray that you would give each one of us in our hearts a yes to keep going forward, to keep moving, and to even though we're on the edge of a sea, the Yom Suf, that you will take us through, God, on dry ground. We are asking, God, for your blood to be put over every place where we have rebelled and sinned, and we ask for the nevertheless to come alive in our own life and you to carry us through, God. We thank you for your word. We thank you uh, even for your servant Moses all those years ago who, who showed us by example how to go through the hard places. We thank you, Lord, um, that you know exactly what catfish we need in our lives to make us come alive again, to bring freshness and wholeness to our own lives, to bring us deliverance in places where needed. We ask that you would be glorified, God, in us today, that you will bless us all, that you'll keep us all safe and sound and return us next week with one another. And we thank you so much for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen, amen. I love you guys. Go have a happy Tuesday.